This podcast was recorded at 9.30 a.m. Jakarta time on 10 January. Things may have changed by the time you hear this. Enjoy the pod. Welcome back to Reformasi Dispatch in the first episode of 2022. I'm Jeff Hutton, Regional Correspondent for The Straits Times in Singapore. I'm Kevin O'Rourke from the Reformasi Weekly Service on Indonesian Politics and Policymaking. It has been ages, Kevin. How yeah, are welcome you? back. Hanging Happy in there. How about you? Oh, uh, yes. Hanging in there. Are you boosted? I think you are boosted. Yeah. Until mm-hmm. Before the show. Yeah. What, what do they boost you with? Uh, I got the Pfizer shot. So are you are you Pfizer across the board? Yes. Yeah. See, where's uh, I was with friends yesterday, and we we're talking about mixing and matching, like what the best possible combination might be. Because I've got AstraZeneca, and I'm wondering if you could do that with the Moderna Chaser, or like, yeah. or do you sort of top it up with the Pfizer? Like, what's the? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, so it's uh... workshopping it. <laughs> Because they're going to be opening up the the commercial boosters, I mean, and that you could walk into a to a Kimia Pharma, I guess, and just uh, slap your money down and get get boosted. Is that how? That's, that's the plan. Yeah, that that, that that yeah, that should be available in most regions, unless the uh, local government is way behind on their vaccination of the elderly and certain other populations. Then um, yeah, the boosters uh, should be available in most places uh, later on this month, maybe as soon as next week. Woohoo! Do you know what what the range of uh, choices might be, or is it? Uh, well, um, I'm not. Don't think I'm going to be too interested. <sighs> That's not been determined yet, but um, so no, I don't know. Yeah. All right. Well, on that note, um, Omicron almost upon us. I think that's the right pronunciation of, of Omicron. It's like an ah. Jokowi firmly backs a sexual assault bill. The government bans coal exports to firm up domestic supplies. COVID infections are on the up. They're ticking up fast. The seven-day moving average has doubled to just over. 430, and the cause does appear to be Omicron, uh, as returning Indonesian nationals carry the virus home. Uh, bed occupancy rates were were, were, were like single digits. We're uh, ticking up now. Um, and that is a worry, even though Omicron does appear to yield uh, milder symptoms. If it's infecting a much broader swath of the population, meaning like people with uh, comorbidities or advanced age, if a lot more get getting it right away, that just seems to mean that we can expect a a sudden surge uh, in in cases that would affect um, the most vulnerable, right? And a a huge stress on uh, medical services. Yeah, this has always been the problem. The, um, the government has done a lot to beef up Indonesia's healthcare system, for sure. But nonetheless, there's only so much that can be done within the space of a couple of years. And so still the situation is that Indonesia has very low healthcare capacity relative to its population size. So if a huge swath of the population gets sick all at once, then even with a very low rate of hospitalization, it's going to mean massive numbers of people needing hospitalization and therefore uh, another uh, really painful shortage like Indonesia experienced back in uh, June, July, and August of last year. 
Um, hopefully this will pass quickly. It seems like it's going to be inevitable. Uh, like you mentioned, 115% increase in case detections week on week. So uh, detections are still extraordinarily low nationwide, but they're uh, doubling uh, weekly now, and that's happening worldwide. And these are mostly imported cases almost entirely, but um, the potential for trickling into the communities and community transmission is already yeah. happening almost certainly. And so, yeah. 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 And the, the, the boosters, as, as we were alluding to, are just uh, becoming available. There is... And these, these, those antiviral, that, that antiviral medication that's available in the rich world, it's the, that's meant to minimize symptoms. I mean, that's nowhere to be seen here, right? That's not even in the discussion of access yeah, to antivirals. Yeah, well, no, not, not right. in practice. No, I mean, I, I think right. that there's people with good enough connections, right. <laughs> individual right. cases could find it, but... Uh, and by and large, definitely not. And it's still a long way off. Even in uh, developed countries, uh, those those uh, pills aren't going to be available on a, on a broad basis for a while yet. And the horse dewormer, no. Um, but no, yeah. seriously, ser- seriously though, uh, the Widodo administration has indicated that they are uninterested in a repeat of uh, July twenty one. Um, I think that we could probably expect a fairly heavy hand. I mean, what's your what's your sense of how the government might approach this? Is there a concern on your part that they might, um, you know, shoot first, ask questions later? Well, actually, um, yeah, there's Indonesia became famous for being reluctant to impose mobility restrictions throughout the first part of the pandemic, but then there was a change in authority in the middle of last year uh, with uh, Erlanga Hartarto being replaced uh, for that particular function by Luhut Panjaitan. And the latter really was much more willing to impose very strict restrictions uh, than the second half of last year. And, you know, it has to be admitted that that actually worked because uh, the, uh, apparently because the, the case rate just plummeted very rapidly down to a negligible levels for the past three months. So that could very well be the solution again. But at the same time, there is real reluctance among a lot of officials to close schools again. There's a lot of eagerness to keep schools going. And there's a very rapid rollout of vaccination among elementary school age children right now uh, using um, Sinovac from China. And that's going well. So um, you know, there's going to be more resiliency, I think. There, there's going to be less need to resort to uh, strict restrictions this time because vaccines are available and there's much more knowledge about health protocols and treatments and so on. So uh, yeah. contact tracing as well. And a lot of the population has actually been exposed to the virus. Something like half. Yeah. So, yeah. so that, that's that what I said that. That's what I would say is the number one question is that Delta wave that came through last year, uh, how does that prepare the population to face Omicron? Should be that it results in only very mild sicknesses. Um, If so, that'd be great. Then the next question is what uh, help does the Omicron variant confer in terms of immunity for something else down the road? That should be interesting to see. Yeah, the government has responded. Interestingly, it's actually reduced the time in quarantine. It was uh, 14 days that shrunk to 10. 
now it's seven. It's um, yeah. There's a couple things going on there. I think <laughs> so, so. Some countries are completely uh, off limits. Yeah, and that list is expanding. Um, Ten in Africa, plus four in Europe: France, UK, Norway, Denmark. Um, uh, of course, if, if you're an Indonesian citizen, you can always come back. And and th- those are the the vast bulk of the incoming travelers are Indonesians being or, or returning home because of conditions wherever they are. A lot of them are in the Middle East, and so I think there's entire plane loads with high case rates that are landing, and so these passengers are going straight into quarantine facilities and those are filling up very rapidly. And I think that was part of the consideration in reducing the length of the quarantine stay was in order to free up some space to accommodate all these returning overseas Indonesian workers, for example, students. Um, the other consideration though, is that the CDC in the U S recommended only a five day quarantine for Omicron variant cases. So, right. Um, yeah. I hadn't thought about that as a, um, that there's still overseas uh, Indonesian workers that are struggling to get back. That there's still plane loads of them coming back and going into in, in, into quarantine. And we're we're two years in. Like it just gives you an idea of the millions <laughs> that are out there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Sure. Yeah. It's a gigantic. Uh, uh, yeah. A lot of them are in uh, places like Taiwan and Hong Kong, uh, mm. but um, the other big areas are Malaysia and then all across the Middle East. Yeah, and in the Gulf countries, it's um, yeah. I guess someplace that's someplace you would not want to be. No access to healthcare, and just I I can't imagine that. Yeah, but we're going to leave that there. And um, Jokowi is having a pretty punchy first few weeks of 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 twenty twenty two. Yeah, he's uh, back to the um, the RUPKS. He is. Um, uh, Sorry, <laughs> lost my train of thought there. Well, a bunch of, yeah, a bunch of things. A bunch of things, right. <laughs> a bunch of things came out all at once just last week. And uh, these are all different strands that came from different, you know, uh, backstories. But there's a, a, a one is a very um, assertive decision on the bill on criminal acts of sexual assault. Uh, R-U-U-T-P-K-S is what it's referred to. As, and then there's uh, decisions on uh, banning exports of coal during the month of January. That was it. Yeah. Canceling. Yeah. Canceling mine permits. Um, and also there's a new uh, land bank agency, which is interesting. Hmm. And these had all been on the back burner, but uh, he's, he's pushed them forward. I wonder if we could just take them in, in turn. The, the, the sexual assault bill, I seem to remember that being around for a while. What has uh, prompted him to, um, to to push ahead on that? And it, you know, for for Jokowi to push ahead clearly on a bill in Parliament—that's something you don't say very often. Absolutely, yeah. So it's interesting. It's the president, I think, being responsive to this uh, upwelling of reporting and accounts and advocacy uh, from civil society groups and the press and social media about harassment and assault. Uh, sexualized, especially against women, of course. And um, it's Indo-Me Too. It's uh, practically really a, a huh. Me Too movement right now. And it's, um, I think, as you mentioned, this bill that um, originally the name was the uh, Eradicating Sexual Assault Bill 
was first suggested by the National Commission on Women and Children in 2012. And then finally, parliamentarians invited the commission to submit it as a bill in 2017. And it uh, nearly passed in 2019, but um, legislators, especially from the National Mandate Party, PAN, decided to shelve it. Um, and then last year, it uh, was making progress again. And then dramatically in mid-December, Golkar killed it. And um, meanwhile, what had been happening also last year is that separately, the education minister, Nadim Makarim, issued a decree obligating all state universities to take a, an array of measures on sexual assault, uh, recording cases, reporting cases, uh, doing education, doing outreach, doing counseling, all these kind of things. And that initiative prompted different voices in, in the education sector to come forth with all sorts of accounts. Uh, hmm. And um, these have really been dominating press headlines for a while now. And it's, it's been sort of a a gradually building kind of snowball. And uh, finally, um, when Golkar killed Parliament's initiative to, quote unquote, initiate a bill, a sort of there's a complex legislative procedure due to happen on 16 December last month. Golkar killed it. And then that really uh, captured a lot of attention. And there was an outcry. And then the president has responded to that by saying, no, this is a bill that I want. We're going to push Parliament to get it done fast. And that's what parliamentarians are now saying that they agreed to do also. And now the next target is going to be 18 February, which is the end of the next parliamentary session. We'll see if parliament uh, gets it done by then. Do you, do you have a sense of in what ways the current legislative uh, framework is lacking? If um, I am a victim of sexual assault, how could I expect currently the the law to protect me or not? In what ways? I guess yeah. what I'm trying to find is that how does this bill improve on the current framework? Uh, well, I think the, the, the short answer is that uh, what's been happening in a lot of cases for decades is that the victim, typically a woman, uh, becomes victimized twice because uh, she gets held accountable for having uh, committed sex out of wedlock, even though it was non-consensual and, and she was the victim of an attack. Um, nonetheless, in a lot of cases, uh, she suffers uh, prosecution for that. So basically, Indonesia has a criminal code, which has a lot of uh, statutes and penalties for a lot of common types of uh, criminal acts. And then there's specialty laws that um, go into further detail about certain areas. There's no specialty law on sexual assault, so therefore police use the basic criminal code, which is very rudimentary. It's very outdated. It's, it's archaic. And in the hands of proper investigators and prosecutors, it is possible to prosecute a sexual assault case properly using the criminal code. But because the criminal code is so vague um, and, and has so many uh, shortcomings, there's a lot of pitfalls. And the police and prosecutors actually very rarely um, make the effort to do this properly. And so therefore, there's not very good handling of sexual assault cases at all. And in right. fact, the data from the police show that Indonesia processes about 1% of the number of cases that the US uh, prosecutes, even though the countries are similar in size. Wow, 1%. Yeah. And even though those are just the ones that get processed, um, you know, you know, the, the actual handling of them is not very good either. And there's plenty of cases where women make allegations and are and are then 
um, facing criminal charges for things like defamation, uh, defamation, defamation, right? Or or, or distributing pornography too. Uh, yeah, mm -hmm. there's 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 a real um, series of hurdles to, yeah. but before you're even heard, before your case is even seriously considered by the court system. Yeah, and so so that this is this is a big thing because when Parliament was trying to quote unquote initiate its own bill on this without the government last year, there were objections from Islamic and Islamic oriented parties in Parliament. And so therefore the proponents of the bill really diluted and, and watered down the contents in order to overcome the resistance of the Islamic parties. So now a big question is if Parliament now works with government to pass a bill, is that bill going to be any good? Or is it going to be a really lousy bill that just perpetuates a lot of injustices? Specifically, is it going to continue outlawing, in effect, consensual sex along with non-consensual sex? Wait, <laughs> they want to ban <laughs> sex? Well, not explicitly, but um, basically what the proponents of the bill originally wanted to do was ban non-consensual sex, naturally. And right. Islamic parties protested that, saying that that implicitly... Uh, condones consensual sex, which, as we all know, is a sin and the mm. government cannot be condoning sin. So that was one of their main objections to the bill. Plus, PKS, the uh, Justice Welfare Party, also wanted this bill to make clear that homosexuality must be illegal. Uh, of course, PKS is only an opposition party, so their support wasn't needed anyway. But there were a few other parties that um, were somewhat like-minded, at least. And then, uh, funny enough, it was Golkar uh, that was really reluctant and, and, and actually blocked uh, the uh, initiation vote on 16 December. The, this is really uh, an, an interesting story of how changing views of uh, the special vulnerabilities of the population, especially women, and yeah. the, the burden that women in particular uh, have to shoulder when when it comes to just day to day uh, sexism and 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 sexual assault. Do you have a a sense that we are in the middle of a of a sea change like Me Too? Like how how should we be thinking about this in terms of what was happening in 2017, 2018 in the U.S.? Is it is it that is it a redo of that, or are there particular Indonesian characteristics that we have to keep in mind? Mm. I think it is a redo of that. I think that this really is a, a major moment right now. I think that uh, we're, we're witnessing a real cultural shift unfolding. And I didn't, I didn't think that was the case a month ago, especially when, when Golkar uh, killed uh, the process. But then there was this backlash to the, the Golkar move. And um, then the president got on board. And, and the way things are now with the Widodo administration, when the president is on board, it's, it's a done deal. I mean, that's, kind of power and authority that he wields at the moment. Uh, he's become way, way more adept at uh, accomplishing what he wants relative to the outset of his first term. So it's going to be really interesting to see you know, what, what, the, what the details are in this uh, bill that gets uh, worked on um, in the weeks ahead. Uh, and then it's also going to be interesting to see what kind of accounts surface because one of yeah. the conspiracy theories, yeah. which uh, is, is that there's reasons why Golkar was opposing this. Yeah, I was kind of wondering. Somebody that. had some skeletons in the closet, you know, mm. that that was the, the really, you know, the, 
the headline grabbing feature of the US Me Too movement was just the, the sheer number of high profile cases that surfaced all of a sudden. And um, you know, whether that will um, recur in Indonesia um, is not so certain by any means, um, in particular, just because of like, like you mentioned, the, uh, the atmosphere for freedom of speech is not the same and, and there's still the propensity uh, to suffer prosecution for defamation. Yeah, that's right. Hey, just in parentheses, in, in the U.S., the president can't do a whole lot to, to uh, force a, a bill through the legislature. I mean, there, yeah, don't get me started. Yeah, okay. Uh, <laughs> we, we won't go down that road. Um, Joe Manchin. But, yeah, <laughs> right, right. How does a bill, you know, we, 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 we could try our schoolhouse rock here. How does a bill get through um, – Indonesian parliament and what kind of, uh, how important is it yeah. that, that the executive, um, once they, uh, bless it, it seems to be almost a done deal that, I mean, uh, Joe Biden would, would mm. love for that, for that kind of power, I would imagine. Right. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, there's, um, uh, there's sort of the domain of the, regulatory framework for passing legislation on one hand, and then there's the political domain of power relations on the other hand and the party alliance. So it, on paper, the uh, approval of the executive is crucial for a bill in Indonesia, unlike in the U.S. In the U.S., Congress may pass a bill, but if the president vetoes it, then it does not become law. In Indonesia, there's basically a preemptive veto. So before a bill can make it through to a vote on whether to make it a law or not, if there's a lack of support from the executive, the bill cannot advance. So the, the executive has to approve the, the advance of a bill during the deliberative mm. process within parliament. So there's a preemptive veto. And that's why the executive can always hold back whatever bill they don't like in parliament. But in terms of the affirmative side, you know, the executive right now can get bills passed if they want, just because Widodo's alliance is gigantic. It's 82% of parliament and Widodo is popular. So all these parties want to do what Widodo wants to do. And uh, that's why his uh, explicit uh, video address that came out um, about 10 days ago on this topic was uh, meaningful because for the first time it showed that this is something that he prioritizes. Previously, it was something that, well, probably the executive would give it approval when time came, but it wasn't certain. Um, they probably wouldn't have blocked it uh, if Parliament really wanted to pass this bill. But, but now it's clear that this is uh, on the president's agenda. And no, and no banning of gays. <laughs> uh, right. Okay. Well, I mean, not yeah, not to be parochial. But <laughs> how does it affect my yeah. bunch? Uh, I don't think they're going to uh, address that because don't worry about it. Uh, That's all right. The it's only Islamic parties that um, are trying to uh, put that into the bill, and um, I think they can leave yeah. that unaddressed. So it's it's going to do neither. One thing or the other, it's not going to uh, help LGBTQ rights, um, but it shouldn't uh, hurt them by the, the same token. Yeah. We'll, we'll not have to deal on LGBT rights in order to get to get this passed. That um, that's that's great. Yeah. Um, and uh, also on on uh, Jokowi's wish list, uh, banning coal and the land bank. You want to do a quick rift on those two? Yeah, so the, this is there's been just a massive uh, uproar uh, in in the resources sector because the Widodo administration came out quite abruptly on uh, 30 December and announced that 
for the entire month of January, nobody can ship coal abroad, zero coal exports by anybody you know, to anywhere, uh, both for thermal coal as well as coking coals, uh, for that matter. And um, that's, I mean, it's just uh, massively disruptive for uh, all, all the uh, people who own uh, coal barges and uh, uh, financiers and those, those types of uh, traders. Also, uh, the customers uh, in China, Japan, and Korea who uh, uh, really need uh, steady supplies of Indonesian coal. Um, because the reason there's, there's is like to, free trade agreements, right? In the, doesn't yeah. Indonesia have some agreements with Japan and, and, and China? And, or? Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, yeah. There's all sorts of uh, different partnership agreements and trade agreements, but there's actually an explicit uh, bilateral agreement forged in 2019 between uh, – uh, led, led by Luhut with China, whereby the Indonesian government uh, affirmed China that Indonesia will provide China's need for coal. And now it's not. <laughs> so that's a right. bit awkward. <clears throat> so the, the, the issue is uh, securing supplies for PLN. Um, ultimately, the issue is uh, price that over 60 million households in Indonesia pay for electricity is below the market rate or the commercial rate that it costs to actually generate that electricity. So the uh, sole power provider, PLN, operates at a loss. They lose money on every household they connect pretty much in, in, the, in the main category of households. And uh, in order to contain the losses from PLN and thereby contain the hit to the government budget in the form of subsidies, the government decrees that coal providers have to sell to PLN at a ceiling of $70 per ton. So they can't charge any more than that. And uh, that's fine when the price of coal is low, which it has been for uh, 2018, 2019, but it's now Not double. anymore. And, yeah, it's sore. It's, it's double that now. Uh, it's 145. And so these producers are all have all been exporting in order to cash in on windfalls abroad rather than supplying PLN. They have a the requirement to confer 25% of their production to PLN or other independent domestic producers. But uh, PLN has been receiving um, just a little over half of what it uh, had expected to receive. And so finally, we don't just sh shut down exports in order to force these producers to. Oh, wait, PLN. wait, wait. There's, yeah. th there, there's an existing requirement among producers to hand over 25% at a, at a $70 a ton cap. Uh, but that hasn't been happening. I'm guessing because they're they're thinking that they'd be able to pay off whatever fines with the with the windfall they're getting from overseas markets. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, there's just not uh, good enough penalties. Yeah, and certainly the the cabinet ministers and other high ranking officials who all seemingly seem to have coal holdings. They're they're not implicated in this at all, are they? <laughs> Right. Well, there's a, a variety of views on that. And so um, there's uh, just all sorts of competing interests involved here, as you can imagine. And it's playing out and within the cabinet. There's been a series of meetings uh, among various ministers and they've been quite heated and they've been deadlocked. Uh, so it seems as if the energy minister is uh, determined to uh, prevent coal exports in order to enable PLN to keep on generating and avoid blackouts. Uh, whereas the trade minister very much wants there to be an agreement to have limited exports 
and an agreement or pledges to give PLN enough coal. Yeah, ultimately, I think this really benefits renewables. Uh, this this whole experience is going to really um, raise awareness that the way forward is uh, building more and more solar panels. Right. Yeah. Land bank. Want to do? Want to do? Yeah, that's an interesting one. Yeah, this has kind of uh, gone on under the radar screen a little bit. This is uh, an agency mandated by the 2020 Omnibus Job Creation Law, and it provides for a government agency that has a very broad authority to acquire land around the country um, and uh, redistribute it for all sorts of different purposes, Uh, almost carte blanche, really. The acquisitions need to take place uh, on an above board manner um, in the event that there are private landholders uh, surrendering land. It needs to take place, uh, obviously, on on commercial grounds with, you know, proper assess properly assess commercial price being paid. But in a lot of cases, the land bank is going to focus on basically just reorganizing a lot of neglected state lands or um, used degraded land, uh, clear cut forest areas and, uh, and, and try to determine the the best ways of uh, making use of these areas. And so it fills a big gap because uh, starting in 2015, the government uh, began being able to acquire land needed for infrastructure projects, uh, but uh, other types of land for other purposes was still a very complicated uh, gray area. Uh, but um, this this new agency really fills that function, and it should ideally make development more efficient. Okay. Lastly, listeners of uh, Reformacy Dispatch should um, start off the, the new year by taking a look at coconuts.co. Do a search on uh, the presidential palace, and they've done a good, a good um, uh, workup of uh, the new president, new presidential palace that uh, nuanced, understated uh, presidential palace <laughs> that uh, uh, Joko Widodo has signed off on. It's all there. Great, great viewing. What is your uh, first first take on uh, what's a, what's a what's a yeah? You're right. Yeah, you <laughs> nuanced. I agree. It's, if 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 you, you want to build a palace in Mordor, it's very nuanced <laughs> and understated. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's uh they're they're doing the the glass and steel thing, but um, it is in the shape of a Garuda. Uh, and um, on a gla- on a grassy knoll, I don't. And on top of the fact that I am not a big fan of the whole idea of a new capital, I think there's there's one already that just needs to be invested in rather than neglected. Don't go to Kalimantan to some place that no one wants to go to. Um, hey, what's your view on it? Is you, you're um, it, it's right, better well, than it could have been. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's terrible. It is really just, it is a travesty. And it's a, it's a pity um, that uh, it's a done deal because, uh, you know, the, the news reports indicate that the president signed off on this design as the, the final decision for the shape of the new presidential palace in the new capital. And it's um, a small palace. It's an oval shape. It's a relatively small building, maybe three or four stories in height and relatively nondescript. Um, and the latest iteration of the design has it uh, on a knoll and kind of integrated into the land. So uh, it's, mm. it's sort of at one with the environment. And so that part is super. They should just leave it at that and make that the design. Right. There's n- nothing right. wrong with any of that. But instead, 
in order to symbolize Garuda, this thing has a gigantic louvered wall behind it, which is supposedly emotive of the shape of a Garuda, the, uh, you know, the national symbol, I guess. Yeah. But it just looks horrible, and it has these talons in the corners, and uh, it looms over the palace, and it has this bulge in the middle, which is meant to be a, a head and a beak. And this is the same designer who built the Garuda Vishnu Kanchana monument or monstrosity, some would say, in Bali, thing that towers above the Bukit Badong area near Jimbaran. It's on um, the flight path into the airport. That uh, so this is a, another thing along those lines, and it's uh, really just wholly unnecessary, and um, uh, hopefully will never actually come to fruition. Well, you say it's a done deal. Well, the next guy can reverse it, or yeah, it- yeah, I think so. Um, yeah, so I, hope I think so. that that should happen. Yeah, and the other thing is that you know there's so many priorities to focus on in order to get the capital move up and running. This palace design is the opposite of the uh, Frank Lloyd Wright motto of uh, <laughs> form follows function. Yeah. This is <laughs> purely form and no function whatsoever. And in fact, it's got negative function because you, know, you can just see a windstorm coming in and oh, yeah. you know, yeah. putting the Garuda beak right through the, the center of the palace floor. So, yeah. Form following function. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, okay. <laughs> no Pritzker prizes here. Okay, we're going to leave it there. And because my Indonesian is still crap, Kevin will speak with Willy Aditya on his own. He's the Quechua Panja. He's the head of the Parliamentary Working Committee overseeing passage of the Sexual Assault Crime Bill. Our interview for this podcast episode is with Bapa Will Aditya, a parliamentarian from the National Democrat or NASDEM party, and he chairs the working committee on the draft sex assault crime bill, R-U-U-T-P-K-S. He joined us to discuss the origins and contents and prospects uh, for the bill. We uh, interviewed Pat Willie in Bahasa Indonesia and then did our own translation and narration for the English version of this podcast separately. And you can also download the uh, Indonesian language uh, interview, uh, which is uh, at a fuller length. But Willie Aditya from the National Democrat Party, thank you for being able to join us today. Can you explain how your work in this bill began? Yeah, ini sudah mulai dari 2016, diusulkan oleh Komisi 8, the bill was originally put forth in 2016 by Commission 8 on Religion and Social Affairs, but it ended at the end of the terms of the parliamentarians in the 2014-2019 parliament, and it did not carry over into the next parliament. So discussions started over again from the outset in the current parliament. 59 Members from the three different parties signed the petition to initiate the bill. These were the entire delegation of NASDEM, or National Democrat, as well as parts of two others, women from the National Awakening Party, PKB, and women from PDI Perjuangan. It became a legislative priority in 2021. I became the chair of the working committee in August 2021, and we began working on this intensively at that point. 
kita masukkan ke dalam prolegnas prioritas tahun 2021 kita mulai bekerja secara intens Kevin So can it generally be said the political support for the bill was narrow at the outset and then expanded considerably over time Ya terjadi dinamika yang sangat <coughs> luar biasa ya There have been some really extraordinary dynamics. If we look at previous parliament, it can be said that there was a sharp descent between proponents and opponents. There were negative narratives in public denouncing this bill as promoting free sex and deviant acts. This prompted parts of the public to react very negatively towards the bill. In the current period, I studied what caused this bill to fail in the past. I conducted dialogues with Minister for Women and Children Bintang Puspa Yoga, and with many others, no less than 100 stakeholder organizations took part in dialogues. No less than 100 stakeholder organizations took part in dialogues. This included the Islamic Clerics Council. From these dialogues, the opposition that you cited that was widespread at the outset gradually changed over time. Tensions dissipated, and ultimately, it was possible to achieve an agreement in Parliament. So this was a very progressive and solution-oriented step towards addressing the emergency of violence against women. Last month, the bill failed to enter into the agenda for the final General Assembly meeting of the parliamentary session, such that the measure failed to formally start its legislative process. What actually happened at that time? Yang terjadi adalah syarat dari sebuah paripurna itu kan ada rapat badan musawarah namanya. Itu berdasarkan tata tertib yang ada di DPR. Jadi, a requirement for a general assembly session is that the consultative council or BAMUS must hold a meeting as per parliament's bylaws. The BAMUS met on 6 December, whereas I finalized preparations on the bill in the legislative commission or BALEK on 8 December. So it was not possible to enter it onto the agenda for the General Assembly. However, on 11 January, Parliament Speaker Puan Maharani made clear that the bill will be on the agenda for the General Assembly session upcoming on 18 January. So the political will is now clear. Meanwhile, President Joko Widodo made a commitment in the video speech on 4 January that is consistent with building progress on this bill and bringing it to fruition as a means to accommodate the public aspirations that are developing. Did the stance of the president change dynamics in parliament to expand support for the bill? Sebenarnya uh, sebelum pidato presiden itu kami sudah menyelesaikan uh, Kevin tanggal tanggal 8 Desember itu kan sudah ketok palu di DPR. Actually back on December we already had the support for the bill. Seven parties supported it. One advocated a delay for further discussions and one opposed it. A bit of good news is that the one faction that opposed the bill at that time said just today in Parliament that it now supports it. Overall, there is no longer any obstacle. There is support from the government. In fact, even before the statement from the President, there was a team preparing points for deliberations with Parliament. 
The head of this team is the vice law minister. He has held dialogues intensively with me and other working committee members to build understanding. It is therefore hoped that in the upcoming deliberations with the government, there will no longer be points of friction or significant back and forth dynamics. Are the contents of the bill likely to change significantly during the course of deliberations ahead with the government? So far, there's not been any major changes requested. I have had intensive discussions with the Minister for Women and the Vice Law Minister, and so far, their points have not included a great many changes. We are optimistic that, with hard work, the bill will be ready for passage into law at the end of the current parliamentary session. The bill covers three vulnerable groups, women, children, and the disabled. There are three main points of discussions. First, protections for victims. Second, protections for the families of victims. And third, protection for witnesses. There are comprehensive articles on these points. The tradition of Indonesian legislation is to focus on punishment for perpetrators. But this bill takes a different approach and focuses on the rights of victims, such as rehabilitation of their reputation, legal certainty, and protection. And not only for the victim, but also protection for the families of victims. In the past, there have been a great many threats and acts of terror against the victim's family, or re-victimization. This bill addresses that. And this is also a bill that features its own stipulation on legal procedures. This bill requires only one piece of evidence, which can comprise a testimony from the victim or from a witness. This will enable police and prosecutors to process cases more easily. This is different from standard procedure whereby two pieces of evidence are necessary to prosecute, correct? Yeah. Ini yang satu hal yang progresif. Jadi kami harapkan nanti rancangan undang-undang tindak pidana kekerasan seksual ini hukum acaranya bisa dipakai oleh beberapa undang-undang terkait. Yes, this will be a progressive breakthrough and we hope that it will be applicable also for other related bills on topics such as human trafficking and domestic violence. This aims to be a more humane approach to addressing the emergency of sexual violence in Indonesia today. As an activist for this cause, I very much hope that there is continual development of intensity for a grassroots movement on this issue, not just a quick one-time response. Turning back to the contents of the bill, is there still a distinction being made between consensual and non-consensual sex? Or has that distinction been removed from the draft? Yeah, ini pertanyaan yang luar biasa dari Kevin. Selaku ketua panja ini yang kemudian membuat saya benar-benar menghadapi sebuah situasi yang benar-benar pelik. Yes, this is an extraordinary question. As head of the working committee, this really presented me with a difficult question. Several parties including the Islamic parties, as well as several other parties, asked that we eliminate the mention of consensual sex in this bill. This was a political compromise. But basically, we know that we need to mention consensual sex as a pillar for a bill on sexual assault and harassment. There was a negative narrative that developed in the public claiming that mention of consensual sex was an entry point 
to give rise to condoning free sex and sexual deviancy. The claim was that these things came from the West and contradicted our traditions in the East. This presented a very difficult situation because we had to take a middle course. Can still this be changed? Certainly. It can change in the upcoming deliberations with the government. It all remains to be seen the course of the legislative process. If it creates prolonged debates, that is the situation that we will have to resolve. Are there signs that the government supports this approach? There are indeed such signs, but it will depend on the dynamics in the discussions with them later. Is there a risk that the victims of sexual assault can face victimization a second time because they perpetrated sexual relations outside of wedlock? That is unlikely because we do not regulate matters such as that. We agree that we are not regulating free sex and we are not regulating sexual deviancy. Because this bill purely focuses on sexual violence, which is the domain of the state, whereas sexual relations are a private domain. What the state can regulate is only acts of violence. Itulah yang kemudian yang ingin kita atur. Jadi kita tidak ingin mengatur hal-hal yang di luar itu, Kevin. Thank you very much, Pat Willy, and thank you for your dedication and diligent efforts on this topic. Ya, sama-sama. Nanti semoga ini bisa disahkan sesuai waktu dan pembahasannya tidak berlarut-larut. Terima kasih untuk Kevin dan kawan-kawan. And that's the pod. Thanks to Willie Aditya of NASDAM for joining us. Our sound engineer, as always, is Stephen Handok. Music by Blue Dot Sessions. And for a free one-month trial of Kevin's Reformasi Weekly Newsletter and a life-size model of the new Lord of the Rings-inspired presidential palace, go to reformasi.info. And if you're listening to us through a podcast app, please subscribe. It's just a click. You'll feel better. We mean the world to Kevin too. As always, you can reach us at onthelevel.id. This podcast is a production of On The Level Media. I'm Jeff Hutton. Bye for now.